0: Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 126, and I am your host, Yelena Levin, and joining me today is my co-host Pontus Bockman. Всем привет.
1: Hey son, hey, son, and we have no CS talk today. No, no, because well, we can we can say it for him. Well, yeah, we can say. See us talk from Anders. Anders actually tried to call into this, but he is uh he is stuck in Canada. No, Canada, <laughs> in a hotel with very poor uh, internet connection, so he couldn't actually make it in there. So he's in
0: he's stuck in dark ages. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, we will have to do without him, but we have plenty to talk about anyway. So
0: I think we'll be fine. Well, yeah, we'll miss him, but we'll be fine. Yeah. I didn't want to <laughs> sound like we don't need him, but yeah,
1: we'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, we need Andras to leave this traveling circus he's working on because uh, it is really, really tough. He's calling in from all over the world in the middle of the night, trying to edit the show on the plane sometimes. So it's, it's, it's crazy. He needs to get a proper job. Andras, get a proper job.
0: Oh, gosh. Um, anything happening on your end, Jelena? Uh, well, not immediately, because we're obviously just a bit at the beginning of, um, June. Happy June, by the way. <laughs> so, ex- so exciting. was finally here, whatever. But I've booked tickets to go to see a, a one day conference, TEDx conference in Ooh, London. Oh, nice. They, these are the more affordable type of TED, TED conferences, uh, for you guys out there who, who are interested. So TED puts on one, huge conference every year. I think it's in Vancouver. And the tickets are extraordinarily ex- expensive. They several thousand p- dollars. And then you have to apply and you have to have certain criteria to qualify for those tickets, even if you have money. Wow. So it's a very, very strict process. But um, they created this TEDx's around the world. And you can go and see uh, amazing speakers that are, that are there, actually. Uh, me and, uh, and Brad were going to TEDx's f- for the past Two, three years now. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll probably go mm-hmm. to a couple a year. So there's an, another one coming up on the 1st of July in London. And it's going to be, uh, they always themed. So there's like an overarching theme. And this time around, it will be b- ideas beyond borders. We are beyond borders.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so this is the, there's more than one talk. There is a, a series. Absolutely. So, so, yeah. so,
0: so far they have announced 11 speakers of which there will be. It's always a very eclectic mix. There's a champion beatboxer. There are authors. Uh, there are LGBT activists. Uh, there are research leaders, ancient DNA specialists. Wow. Mm. Uh, mathematicians, uh, anthropologists, professors of cardiology, psychological scientists. So the, it, it's going to be quite a mix because of the theme. I, they always go go that way. It's so wide, you know. They probably will just cover lots of different uh, interesting topics. No, topics, I've, I've so. never
1: been, but it's uh, well, you have obviously. But so, do, do
0: you do you get them in Sweden? The TedXs.
1: To be honest, I don't know. Uh, okay. If so, it's probably in Stockholm, and uh, that's not Uh-oh. where I am too often. So, so I wonder. Yeah,
0: yeah I've I wonder never if seen if one. They... Hmm. Hmm. All right. So that's that's what I'm going to be doing, um, and it's always really well. Organised and run, and actually they all these all events, the TEDx events, are all run by volunteers.
1: Yeah. So how expensive are of those?
0: So we're paying for one day, we're paying seventy quid. Oh, okay, that, per, per person. Yeah. So it's a little so. bit. Uh, yeah. It's not the, the cheapest. Obviously, day you you could go in the park and not pay for anything. Yeah. But um <laughs> I think for the amount of speakers, so, so far they have announced eleven. I think they might be announcing one or two more. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty. Fair price to pay.
1: Do I hear a skeptic cat in the background?
0: <laughs> Is this he's Dobby? Sc- he's skeptical, right? Yeah. She, I should, I should say. Yeah. She's desperate to get into the room and yeah, la- yeah, yeah. land maybe, her maybe, maybe we should
1: give her the, the spot that Andras <laughs> didn't fill today. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah, about like that. Now there's something with skeptics and cats. They always, uh, you just listen to Richard Saunders and to Skeptic yeah. Zone, there's always a cat in the background. I think that's fine. We should do that. All right. Should we uh, tell people where they can reach us what? before yeah. we go
0: into the actual show? I think we should. Yeah. I think just in case, yeah. you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a website. We've got a website. It's theesp.eu, surprisingly. And uh, also you can email us. The email address is info at theesp.eu. You can also tweet at us or follow us on Twitter, actually. Uh Twitter handle is espodcast underscore eu. Um, and also follow us on Facebook and message us on there if you want to. Yeah. And uh, if you get your podcast via iTunes, what really helps to spread the word is uh, leaving us um, a nice review on there and rating us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Please do that, if you will. And uh, yeah, and on the on the website, of course, we have our uh, calendar as well, where you can see what's happening in, in Europe when it comes to skeptical things. Typically, it's like 12 to 15 different skeptics in the pub every week. Sometimes a little less, but it's really interesting. And I think, you know, I've said this before, but even if you can't attend all of those or not even one of them, perhaps it's interesting to go there once in a while to look and see what's going on. You get a feel for what's trending and you maybe get inspired to do something like that on your own. It's, uh,
0: yeah. It's- and also some of the themes that, that are being explored in all these meetings might, might catch your eye and and you wouldn't believe, you know, the, yeah. Or you wouldn't even think that that would be some of the, you know, things that people talk about at this skeptic meeting.
1: Yeah. So go to skeptic meetings, people. That's, uh, that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. Please do it. or Always. One. Yeah.
0: Always. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Just do it. <laughs> Uh, very, oh, yeah. And, and also, of course, uh, if you want to support us, uh, you could go to patreon slash DESP and, yeah. um, uh, pledge a dollar or so for every episode. Some people do actually, and we very much appreciate it. So please.
0: Thank you to everyone who supports yeah, us. Yeah. My, great, ca- thank my you. cat, my cat approves that message. Yeah.
2: So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get cracking? Let's crack on. So uh, the next segment um, will be this week in skepticism, which I will be doing myself. And I'm going to introduce myself. And here we go. <laughs> this week, uh, I have chosen a guy who was born on the 10th of June, 1895. And he was born in Vitebsk, which used to be a Russian empire. And in present day, it's Belarus. Um, and his name was Immanuel um, Velikovsky. And he uh, was an independent scholar best known as an author of a number of controversial books reinterpreting the events of ancient history. And in particular, one of the best-selling books um, that he's written whilst living in in America called World in Collision that -hmm. was published in 1950. I think it's been republished 70 odd times. This is how popular it is. So they've been reprinting it and reissuing it, and um, it's still in circulation. It's still popular in certain circles. And he was one of the most famous pseudoscientists um, of all times, I probably would uh-huh, say. Uh-huh. An interesting character. He started off as an, in a traditional way. He was born into a very, very wealthy Jewish family. He had, um, all the resources and attended all the right schools and, um, you know, was on this career path, the, the, uh, academia, academic career path in his life. And, uh, he had, um, his, was the whole world open to him. And, and interestingly, what he, and, and obviously he was, I think he was a very, um, uh, clever and intelligent, intelligent guy, but what he chose to do with his intelligence somewhat, <laughs> yeah. uh, somewhat transpired to be very different from other uh, scientists and he decided to rebel against the establishment and uh, it sometimes uh, you know it goes down really well with with the masses because they can see somebody like that and they go oh my god he's uh, like a maverick you know he's different is
1: it li- a little bit like what attracts people to conspiracy theories
0: and do you know what i think his uh, overall goal in life was to find the overarching story he can tell about the, the universe and the cosmos it wasn't even just concentrating on, on earth it was planets and 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 cosmos in in in, uh, in the total so the critical feedback is the as we know is the lifeblood of healthy science as is willingness uh, to say that i was wrong when the face yeah, change your mind when e- when evidence wrong, yeah. that's right yeah mm. and it doesn't matter who you are or how important you think your ideas are if it contradicted if they, they are contradicted by the evidence. They are wrong. They are, your ideas are wrong, if, if, if you've proven to show that they're wrong by the evidence. Uh, in contrast, the pseudoscientists typically don't like the peer review process in order to avoid the inevitable critical commentary. This is where exactly uh, Emmanuel vilikovsky uh, falls. His theories, his controversial theories about planetary collisions, um, were pl- plain and simple. They were never accepted by the, the, by the science and were plain and simple proven to be wrong. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning, he wasn't a science, pers- a scientist per se. And he rejected the peer review process after submitting a paper to the prestigious journal Science. Um, And then he says that my paper was returned for rewriting after one or two reviewers took issue with my statement that the lower atmosphere of Venus is oxidizing. I had an easy answer to make, but I grew tired of the prospect of negotiating and rewriting. That's not how it works.
1: Yeah, he was okay with the peer review uh, uh, procedure until he got some pushback. As long as they didn't agree with him, so that's screw them.
0: Yeah, and and as, as soon as he got a little bit of pushback, a little bit of criticism, he thought... No, it's too, it's too tedious. It's too, uh, a a longer winded process. I want to write what I want to write. He thought all his ideas are right. Mm. And everything that was written up to this point by the scientists is wrong. And so so he somehow figured, yeah, he somehow figured that's how it works. So, I've got another quote. So, my worlds in collision as well as earth and upheaval, that's another book of his, do not require any revision, whereas all books on terrestrial and celestial science of 1950 need complete rewriting, and nobody can change a single sentence in my books. Oh. So, no peer review required. All of his works, um, are faultless, and all the science before him is rubbish. Uh, this you know something fundamentally wrong. this is not how scientists work. This is not how the scientific community works. This is not how we come to conclusions in the best way based on evidence that's basically just wishful thinking and um this grandiose. I don't even know what kind of posturing that is
1: so I like the fact that he took issue with that somebody wanted to change one sentence in his in his book, and that was unacceptable, yeah. but he yeah. wants everybody else to rewrite their books instead,
0: so okay, fine. <laughs> No, it's absolutely ridiculous. He he has gone as far as uh, rejecting the fact that there is gravity in space and uh, this whole anti-Newtonian stance. He has been debunked by many great scientists, including Carl Sagan, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. who's gone on to making Cosmos as as a way of debunking some of his writings, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think what happened, unfortunately, is if... He didn't make that much noise with his publication. And if a lot of the scientists would have just left it alone and didn't pay him any attention, he probably would have gone away with time. But because big names got involved and uh, a lot of noise was made around this, he became popular. Yeah. Popular with the. You know, those like you you mentioned in the beginning, exactly. People call a little bit more to the conspiratorial thinking and they saw him as a victim, victim of established scientific environment. And uh, it's very paradoxical, but that's what made him so popular and famous. Hmm. And I think a lot of his views are still... Very much alive. I think uh, I can maybe summarize just quickly what what he's done in terms of uh, that book, that, that initial uh, book that he published and why it was so popular. He took ancient writings, so ancient Egyptian writings, some mythology, Bible, mm-hmm. the Old Testament, mind you. So then he took all these writings, he looked at them and he thought of what kind of things would have happened that could cause people to write these myths or whatever. So he created in his imagination this world in which those things happened. And he basically started propagating these ideas about collisions, explosions, comets and all these other things to make sure that the myths fit the science, not the other way around. That's not how reality works.
1: Very interesting.
0: All right. Well, that was that for this week in skepticism.
1: Yeah. Let's go over to the news segment. (music) All right. So uh, the first item, we will go to Germany and we will talk about Mises again, because that's what I talk about, because it is very important and I hope people don't feel that I'm you know, harping on this thing. But we are actually going through one of the worst measles epidemic in Europe since uh, vaccines were invented. So it needs to be highlighted once in a while. So in Germany, around the areas of Cologne and Bonn, there was uh, recently 70 new cases reported. Several of them uh, were uh, hospitalized. Interestingly, and this is why I bring it up, the report says that most of the victims were in their early 20s having not been vaccinated at all or or only having received one of, of the two recommended shots when they were children and it's interesting because this correlates all too well with what that they were born in the mid to late 90s just when the fraudulent study was published by Andrew Wakefield which was it came out in 1998 but even if you're born in 1995 you're due to be vaccinated around that time so Uh, Of course, we know that this study, which claimed that there was a link between autism and and the MMR vaccine, that that study was later retracted and Wakefield lost his medical license, but the damage was done and uh, these victims are on him. You can see a clear correlation here with people who were born around the time when that study came out are now suffering getting measles. So, of course, we know that measles is a serious disease and you can actually die from it. And even if you don't die from it, you can have uh, repercussions when you, uh, many, like several decades later. So, uh, I'm glad that Wakefield lost his license. I'm sorry to see that his sort of legacy lives on.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we, it, it, we have to continue talking about this measles situation in Europe. It's never going to be enough. Yeah. Until until the, the situation is under control, which it's still
1: it, it's not. And and uh, for future episode, it's soon time to do a, a more bigger uh, overview of where we stand in Europe at the moment. Yeah. Have- what's what's kind of yeah, changed? Yeah. We know that Ukraine has a big pro- problem. We know that uh, Romania, Italy, but we we need to summarize this and see how how bad it really is because it is bad.
0: Okay, Doki, I want to talk about something that isn't. Uh- fun at all but it's not measles related it's relates to homeopathy and it goes to everybody who said what's the harm in homeopathy yeah um the german um, uh, magazine called Zeitung*
1: or something like that
0: published an article uh recently uh, saying that um, the doctor paid uh, 10,000 euros um to a um bereaved of a 70 year old uh, former patient and the reason why he did that is because there is a whole sad story behind it the this woman has been diagnosed uh, w- with cancer in 2012 and she was um treated by her doctor by none other than homeopathic remedies mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: to
0: to get over the cancer And uh, this homeopathic treatment continued uh, for months, obviously, without the uh, success. And 10 months later, the patient changes the doctor, and her new physician sends her straight away to to the hospital. But by that point, it's too late. Too late, And uh, after four years of suffering, the poor woman dies. Hmm. Uh, The patient's relatives sue the homeopath, the first doctor, uh, for the relatively modest sum of 150,000 euros. Because obviously the life of the woman is worth much more than this, the homeopath doctor claimed that the old woman had refused to be referred to a specialist, and then the case notes provide proof for that claim. The relatives suspect that the case notes have been altered retrospectively by the homeopath, oh. and uh, the judge uh, rules that the payment of ten thousand euros is made. He, the homeopath doctor accepted it, uh, but it is unclear whether the insurance agrees to pay this sum. Sorry, the insurance? Is it? Yeah, because obviously, probably his practice is insured.
1: Ah, uh, okay, okay. Uh, so you can insure yourself against malpractice? Well, I wonder. Yeah, well, I guess so. So you he can, see,
0: but... basically he gets off scot free. Yeah, it, it, it's a. It's a story that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, hmm. luckily, at least at the end of this uh, story, they got some pay- payout, but actually I don't know how much the, the um, legal proceedings cost them because it, it's also so mentioned in the article that the relatives have to pay, had to pay 94% of the cost of the court proceedings. Oh, shit. So maybe at the end there was nothing, not, uh, not nothing but p- publicity, which was a good example of what happens when serious things like cancer are treated uh, with homeopathic remedies. This practice of homeopathy is by and large a medical neglect, basically. Um, Because homeopathy is employed mostly for minor self-limiting conditions, Um, the neglect usually remains invisible. However, as soon as the homeopath ventures to treat serious diseases like cancer, um, the neglect becomes very obvious. Should,
1: should we just repeat maybe if we have new listeners what homeopathy is and why it's so sure. ridiculous to, to use it?
0: Sure. Um, so homeopathy is a system of alternative medicine um, that based on doctrine that like cures like and the claim claims that a substance that causes the symptoms of disease is in healthy people would cure similar symptoms in sick people which is totally um, backwards to Oh no to no, begin it's with. a total pseudoscience. No, no, it's a total pseudoscience. And they have uh, the homeopathic remedies are being diluted in a ridiculous degree. So basically whatever remedy you buy in a shop is essentially just water. Yeah or sweetened water sometimes i think yeah because you you put it on a
1: sugar pill so so it is mostly su- sugar yeah
0: yes and um if if only people knew what uh, go, uh, used to go into making homeopathic remedies because i think there was like a method of slapping and shaking and
1: no yeah they call it succussion i believe when you you put something you, you say you want to do it from coffee for instance yeah coffee it's a good example coffee it makes you yeah. not being able to sleep so yeah. then you according to homeopathy can make yeah. a sleeping pill out of coffee yeah. by putting just a little bit of coffee in some water then you shake it around then you yes. throw away most of the water, you save one drop, and you dilute that drop into another bucket. Yeah. You do the same thing there, shake yeah. it around a bit. You take that drop yeah. and put it in the second bucket, in the third and the fourth and a sixth. And in the end, you have no trace of coffee in it at all. It's just water. So I think that's enough to understand it's it's total... Uh, yeah, uh,
0: it's enough to understand that nothing like this will ever cure n- nothing like cancer. I mean, cancer is... a <laughs> Very, it won't cure
1: anything. Uh, it won't even yeah, no, cure the sleeping
0: disorder. Listen, there's there's some arguments to be made about the placebo effect and uh. things like headaches and stuff. You know, and that's different uh, episode altogether. Yeah. But when we're talking about aggressive forms of uh, cancer, and yeah, it's, anyways. All right. So that's that's the that's the um, sad and maybe somewhat in some ways positive news in a way because I like when thing cases like this get attention in the media. So.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So, on a good note now, we're going to talk about Sweden. Yay, Pontus! Yeah, yeah, Sweden's Your good. Your country! Sometimes. Sweden's very good, yeah. <laughs> um, no, they had uh, a wonderful scientist commun- scientist communicator called Hans Rosling, who died, unfortunately. And recently, he has uh, written uh, a wonderful book uh, called uh, Factfulness, uh, which we have, I believe, mentioned in the past yes, episode. Yes, we
1: did, in episode 119.
0: There you go. Mm-hmm. It's out. Um, and um, Bill Gates called it one of the most important books um, of all times. So, in fact, he, he said it's one of the most important books he's ever read. Mm-hmm. And that, like, te- tells you something. Yeah. Because he's probably I, re- read
1: few books. I think Akil he May- reads books, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think he does. But anyways, um, so, and what uh, do Swedish people do? They will celebrate him um, by uh, setting up a Hans Rosling Day in the Nobel Center every year. The date itself hasn't been announced, uh, but they're planning to uh, set it up sometime in May 2019. And this day will be commemorated by some talks um, and just some sort of events uh, yeah. to celebrate him.
1: So we'll, they will keep uh, his memory alive and, uh, st- yeah. and keep spreading his, uh, his uh, ideas. His legacy, and, uh, yeah. He wrote several books and he wasn't alone as well his his son Ola Rosling and Ola's wife Anna uh, Rosling Rönlund and they are driving this of course and want to keep uh, the 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 ideas alive they have this uh, organization called Gapminder as well uh, that spreads good statistic solid statistic uh, interesting statistic news about uh, the world as well so very interesting to see what will happen on this uh, hans Rosling Day next year.
0: Yep. Uh, so watch this space. Mm. So um, we were chatting with Pontus earlier, and um, I believe some time ago, uh, you, Pontus, and a couple of other people, when talking about the uh, ideas for the podcast, came up with a new segment yes. for this. Because um, if I recall correctly, and um, I'm sure I do recall correctly, um, the, you talk a lot about the Pope. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's going to be connected <laughs> to that new segment.
1: Yeah, it was actually in Budapest uh, when I yeah. was there visiting a couple of weeks ago. I met with Andras, with Gabor Rashko and a couple of other local skeptics there. We, we we were discussing a little bit and we came up with this new segment called Pontus Pokes the Pope because I can't give him the prize for being really wrong every week, uh, but I really do want to talk about the Pope a lot. So we make it a separate segment.
0: I'm really looking forward to hear what it's all about.
1: Yes, Pontus pokes the Pope. First time. The, the PPP. PPP. The Guardian recently published an article about the latest stupid musings of Pope Francis. <laughs> <laughs> he, he agreed, the Pope did, to an audience with a survivor of Catholic sexual abuse. This was a gay man called Juan Carlos Cruz from Chile, really? who was abused as a boy by one of the worst pedophiles in the Catholic Church uh, uh, that the Catholic Church have ever seen, called Fernando Caradima. And he was found guilty in 2011. So it's been a while, but he, he's an old guy, this Fernando. So he's he's been doing this for years and years and years. So, I, I guess you could think that that's nice. Uh, the Pope Francis is t- speaking to, you know, one-on-one to one of the victims. But I am so upset about what the Pope allegedly said in this meeting. He told the victim not to feel bad. Uh, the, and the victim, did I mention, is, is a gay man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God has made him what he is, and therefore uh, God loves him. And therefore also the Pope loves him, so he shouldn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- why is he telling this guy not to feel bad? I mean, he should not say that. He should apologize. We did something wrong to you. We let something very bad happen to you, and we've also have a doctrine that makes you feel ashamed and bad about your sexuality for for uh, 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 totally regardless of what happened in this pedophilia situation. This. Poor guy and everybody else who is gay in the Catholic Church goes around feeling guilty for something they should not at all have to be guilty about at all. So it's not that they should be forgiven. It is the fucking stupid (laughs) guy in Chile who, who abused him. That's the guy you should, you know, that's the guy you should apologize for what that guy did. Also, what upsets me is that this is reported in the media, and this was in The Guardian, as a good thing, as an example of how good this new—well, he's not that new anymore. Uh, pope is, and how, what what a nice guy the Pope is, and he, he's not a nice guy. He just keeps p- making people feel ashamed and uh, uh, for who they are, and they shouldn't. So
0: uh, therefore, you're going to poke him. For, uh, therefore, po- I poke, po- the, poke pope. the Pope. Yeah, yeah, no, he deserves much more than poking. But um, absolutely, yeah. I don't even know why Pope is still a thing.
1: Anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is why 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 are people why are men in silly hats still a thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, I know that there'll be plenty more where it's come from. So yeah, yeah, afraid so. So the, the this this segment will be followed by our regular one, which is a really wrong slash right segment um, that Pontus will tell us all about. Again.
1: Okay. Yes, I do have uh, both a really wrong and a really right one.
0: We are. Th- that's the big treat. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It is. I don't think
0: it's ever happened before,
1: actually. <laughs> so the first one is from the really wrong one is from from Scotland at the University of Glasgow. Uh, hello, Brian Ego, Uh There has been a huge <laughs> observational study published by a professor called Jason Jill. Right. It's been reported on in several big media, including the BBC. The study has followed over 300,000 people over a period of about five years to see if there's any link between so-called screen time, which uh, is when you spend a lot of time in front of computers and tablets and stuff, and bad health. Right. Not surprisingly, the study found a correlation between screen time, (gasps) low income, and a sedentary lifestyle – with cardiovascular diseases, uh-huh. cancer, and overall mor- mortality. So that's fine. That's an interesting study, you may say. The big problem mm-hmm. with this study is mm-hmm. how it was reported, because it implied a direct causal relation between specifically screen time and bad health. But the, the, it skips over all the other factors in between there. Yeah. Yes, of course, if you spend a lot of time in front of a screen, you don't exercise enough. But that's the reason why you have the health problems. It's not yeah. the screen time itself that is dangerous. If you spend like uh, five hours a day in front of a screen, but then spend three hours a day doing exercise, you're probably fine. And if you spend uh, uh, you know, five hours a day sitting around just reading books, you probably would have a health problem as well unless you exercised. But it's being reported as screen time is bad for your health. So don't do that.
0: Yeah, well, it's like again, it's a um, attention-grabbing headlines uh, situation. Yeah.
1: But I, I also went down to the to the study, and the study actually makes that claim as well in the yeah. in the in the abstract and in the header and stuff. And and it's just misleading because people just remember that screens are bad. So I'll put away the screen and eat the ice cream instead, and then I'll be healthy. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of ice cream, it's it's like the, the you know it's this correlation versus causation thing. The classic correlation is that uh, when ice cream consumption goes up, also does drowning accidents. <laughs> you know.
0: Well, yeah, you can come up with all sorts of yeah, things like and, that, and
1: that's true. But it's yeah. because yeah. it's you know it's in the summer where you eat ice cream and go to the sea, and so it's not like ice cream is uh, responsible for the drowning accidents, of course. So, for releasing a study that is sure to be misinterpreted by most people, the University of Glasgow gets today's prize for being really wrong.
0: Yeah. So,
1: as I said, I have a really right to... So ending ending the the show on a more positive note. We've talked about it for a while, but we here at ESP are big fans of making all scientific studies available so that people can study them, not hiding them behind paywalls, which is very common. So that's why we like the EU Competitiveness Council who set up a goal to make all studies freely accessible within EU by 2020. Yay. We talked about that before. So mm-hmm. um I'm sure there are some problems to solve to get to this goal. Uh, and one of them being a, actually a private company called Elsevier. Elsevier is a Dutch-based academic publishing company that almost has a sort of monopoly on scientific studies in Europe. They own the magazines and stuff. And this means that they can charge a fortune for getting access to these studies, sometimes like hundreds or even thousands of euros just to read a, a single study. Mm. And and that that's no way to go. You, don't, you want to spread science, not hide it. So why is this good then? Well, uh, I was very happy to see the other day that something called the BibSum Consortium, which acts on behalf of the National Library of Sweden, will not renew its agreement with Elsevier. They say that Elsevier does not, and I quote, meet the BibSum Consortium's demands for a sustainable transition to open access, end quote. So this puts pressure on Se- Elsevier to move towards uh, the goal of open access. So it's good that things are happening now to try to push for this. And uh, yes, good news. Hopefully, in the it'll take some time. Brilliant. Yeah. So for moving along from uh, no- monopoly and towards open access regarding scientific studies, the Bibsam Consortium and the National Library of Sweden get today's prize for being really right it never ends a friend starts talking about his new reiki master and someone else just posted about another all natural cancer cure that they don't want you to know about As skeptics, we dedicate a lot of time trying to protect those around us. But there's a way that you can reach millions. Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia is a group that is working to keep the best skeptical information at everyone's fingertips in all languages. Join us. Training is self-paced and fun, and we have our very own super-secret Facebook group. You will be educating the world in your sleep. To find out more, email us at gsowteam@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Gorilla Skepticism. The time is now. Music by
0: bensound.com. So I think this is it for today. Uh, between me and Pontus, we made it happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Andros. <laughs>
0: uh, Andros, come join us next time. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, uh, I think that's it for now. And uh, we will um, reconvene next week. But until then... Oh, I need to finish with a quote. Yes. So funny. How could I forget? And this quote is from David Hume, a Scottish philosopher, historian, economist, and essayist. In our reasonings concerning matter of fact, there are all imaginable degrees of assurance, from the highest certainty to the lowest species of moral evidence. A wise man, therefore, proportions his belief to the evidence. Please note. <laughs> Good man. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Go with the which, evidence. Which, which obviously Immanuel uh, Vilikovsky completely disregarded. He forgot about that one. He
1: didn't read his humour. He didn't
0: care about evidence. Mm-hmm. But we should care.
1: We care. And we do. Every week.
0: That's it. That now it's definitely it. This is the end of the show. Mm-hmm. We come to an end of the show for this week. And yep. we will uh, reconvene next week. Until then, goodbye everybody. Goodbye. Paka Pakapaka.
1: Paka, paka. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.EU. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organisation to promote please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu Follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe
1: I think you should...
0: Ah, yes. Um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wait until the buzzing stops. Brad is brushing his teeth, so it's going to be on a recording. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on a second. I've closed all my windows because I was so excited.